well, all over the vast uh, domain of the Anglican Church in North America, thousands and thousands of us this morning. Uh, it is Mission Sunday. It is Mission Sunday today, World Missions Sunday. So let me ask you, uh, what do you think about when you think about mission? Is it taking the gospel to unreached people in different lands? Uh, is, it addressing, is it addressing actively the effects of living in a world that is marred by sin, such as feeding the hungry or clothing the, na the naked, caring for the sick, visiting those who are in prison? Uh, do you think about missionary heroes, missionary heroes like St. Boniface, who in the 700s took, uh, took the gospel to those pagan, pagan Germans? Not a lot has changed. <laughs> or do you think about William Carey, who sometimes is called the father of modern uh, missions, or perhaps Hudson Taylor, who started the China Inland Mission, or maybe Mother Teresa of Calcutta. What do you think about? Well, I want you to know, and I want you to remember, that in our gospel reading today, Jesus situates mission not so much in the church, where we think of it as, as kind of originating in the church's activities. Jesus instead situates mission in the person and activity of God. Jesus positions mission in the person and activity of God. God is the initiator of missions. Let me read that key verse to you from John chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So I want, if I had the, we used to have a flashing red light, like a little police light, you know, I would put up for this, but uh, just imagine that on the table now, warning, warning, theology ahead, a theology of missions is coming your way. Uh, in all of the writing about missions that I have read recently, the authors point to God's mission in the world as being his project of redeeming and restoring his fallen creation. And that certainly is central to missions, redeeming and restoring his fallen creation. But here's the deal, and we need to understand this. I want you to hear this. God was a missional God, please listen, God was a missional God before humans ever rebelled and fell away. Mission is not just because there is something broken between God and humanity. Mission is not just God's response to a bad situation. No, listen, mission existed before the fall ever took place. Here's what I mean. God, this is, this is the deep end of the pool, but get ready. God is perfectly and infinitely joyful and fulfilled in his own being. God does not depend on anything other than himself. God does not need anything other than himself. We are not, creation didn't happen because there was something lacking in God. God doesn't need anything to enhance his own existence. He is self-existing, self-dependent, and he is fully joyful and fulfilled in his own self. We call this doctrine, listen, the aseity of God, the aseity of God. There's your word for the day. Go and use it in a paragraph sometime. So within, I told you this is kind of deep, but within the inner life of God, in the inner life of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are always giving themselves away to the other persons of the Holy Trinity in love. And out of that superabundance of God's Trinitarian love, God 
sovereignly determined to create something outside of himself. And in the mystery of that love, God brings into being something other than himself because it delights God to reach beyond himself in love. That's where mission is situation. It delights God to reach beyond himself in love. And God creates human beings in his own image in order to govern and order this creation and to direct it back to God in love, back towards the creator. So in one sense, the mission of God is embedded in his act of creation. I know that's, that's a lot to take in. But the mission of God is embedded in his loving act of creation. That means that mission, therefore, is rooted in the outward-focused attribute of God, the outward-focused attribute of God. You know, love, love. Mission is as much an attribute of God as justice or mercy or holiness. Mission is the attribute of God's outwardness, his sovereign, loving purpose to extend himself outward to bring all things back into unity with him. Y'all, you just got a big old dose of what we would call patristic theology just then. Uh, I, hope, I hope it makes you as happy as it makes you me, but probably not. I just love it. But here it is in the Bible. It's in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. This is what I've been telling you. Making known to us the mystery of God's will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather into one all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. God reaches out beyond himself to create, and then in love he draws it back inwards towards himself in that wonderful dance of love. I, this is so, so sweet and good. But because of the brokenness of creation, the estrangement of creation, especially humanity's estrangement from God due to our sinful rebellion against him in the garden, God's outward focus takes on a whole new dimension. You know, that word, in, that word we're hearing over and over again this morning, that word mission, comes from the Latin word for to send. It comes from the Latin word for send. And in John's gospel, which we heard from today, Jesus refers to himself, listen, Jesus refers to himself as the one who is sent. Go back and just start reading John's gospel and see how many times that phrase, the one who sent me, or I was sent. See how many times that occurs. Jesus refers to himself as the one who is sent from the Father at least 41 times. At least 41 times. I think the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle John, in this gospel, is trying to make a point. 41 times. And most specifically, Jesus Sent, I mean, the Father sends Jesus on mission into the world to bring light and life. The Father sends Jesus into the world on mission to bring light and life. Listen to John 12, 44 through uh, 46. John 12, 44 through 46. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. This is so redundant. It's just like me almost. It's almost as redundant as I am. My children tell me I have a horrible condition known as repetitive A. So, I have come into the world, listen, 
I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Light. The Father sent me. I've come into the world as light. Then look at John 17, verses 1 through 3, the great high priestly prayer of Jesus. John 17, 1 through 3. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the, the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Mission. I mean, it's dripping with it. Why light and life specifically, though? Why light and life? Well, this is pretty cool. I know we're jumping all over the Bible this morning. This is a Bible church. So go back to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. We call this the prologue to John's gospel. Very familiar words here. In the beginning was the word. This is John's calling, uh, what John calls Jesus, the son of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And now listen to this. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him, listen, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John is obviously and intentionally referencing the Genesis creation account. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is... He is obviously restating Genesis in light of the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Jesus, please listen, is sent by the Father to be light and life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In Genesis, what does God do? He creates light, let there be light, and then spends another bunch of days creating life. Here is the point. Right here it is. I'm going to bring this together. Jesus, in whom is light and life, says this is this is these words in John. He comes with light and life. He's full of light and life. Light and life are a reference to creation. Right. This is a creation account. Right. Jesus, in whom is light and life, is sent by the Father to bring about a new creation. That is the mission of Jesus in the world, to bring about a new creation. And from the beginning of John's gospel until Jesus shows up again, where? At the resurrection in a garden. It's about a new creation, bringing forth a new creation. Jesus, the gardener, in the garden of the new creation. That new creation is cosmic. Other, in other words, Jesus is making all things new. A new heavens and a new earth that has begun already in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the incarnation, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the order of the new creation that God intends has already broken into the world. It started 2,000 years ago. We live in the ripple effect of that dynamic in, in, explosion into the reality of God's new creation. 
And we see it rippling out still to this day as we live in the time between the times, the beginning of the new creation and the final consummation of the new creation. That's why we have a healing ministry at Christ Church. It's not just because people get sick. It's because it is an expression of God's inbreaking new creation where sickness and death will be no more. It's a cosmic new creation. But listen, brothers and sisters, and this is where it starts to get real. It's also a personal new creation, a personal new creation. Jesus makes people new creations. In John chapter 9, we're just all over John's gospel this morning. In John chapter 9, when Jesus heals the man born blind, when he takes away his darkness and brings him into light, what happens? Listen, John 9, 5 through 9. As long as I am in the world, Jesus says, I am the light of the world, light. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with his saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with mud. Now, let me just stop right there. Where did, where did Adam come from? The dust of the earth. This isn't just to make, you know, I'm not sure that uh, dirt is the best thing for blepharitis. You know, I, don't think it's the, I don't know if it's the best thing to put on blind eyes. But if you're making a new man, you might start with some dirt. Huh. Is this cool? Is this amazing? So he made, he made some saliva. Jesus made him some mud. He put it on the man's eyes. And he said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. <laughs> it's all here. So he went and washed and came back seeing. And then listen, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, yeah, it is he. And others said, no, but it looks like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. Jesus is the light of the world, the light of the new creation. He sends this man to wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. The man washes and comes back seeing, and then what happens? The people who knew him all his life do not recognize him. Why? Why? Because he is a new creation. They've never seen that man before. They've never seen that man before. The new creation is cosmic, and it is personal, and every one of us who have believed on Christ, repented of sin, been washed in the waters of baptism, have been made new creations. You are a part of that. Christ Church, you're a part of that. We're called to that. That's what the Father sent Jesus into the world to do. And that brings us to where we are this morning as a church. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, what did he send him to do? Light and life, new creation. Even so, I am sending you. If he's done that with Jesus, what's he doing us for us? What does he want us to do? Be agents and embodiments of the new creation. We continue the mission of Jesus, who is sent from the Father to bring light and life. We are sent by Jesus to be agents and embodiments of the new creation, where sin and sorrow and death will be no more. Mission means sent. If you are sent, listen church, if you are sent, it means you can't do what? You can't stay. 
If you're sent, you can't stay. There is always an outwardly directed dynamic of going in any healthy church. And that is certainly true of Christ Church from the beginning. We started as mission. You know, when you go and invite your unchurched or non-believing neighbor to come to Christ Church with you, why? Because you want them to meet Jesus, you are not staying. You are a part of that outward going movement of God. You have crossed the boundaries of your comfort to extend yourself into someone else's life with the goal that they, they might become a new creation. You are at that point fulfilling your calling as one who has been sent by Jesus on mission. You know, just this past year, this happens over and over at Christ Church, but just this past year, God raised up Luke and Abby and their family in our church and sent them to a group of people in a distant and difficult part of the world that, they had, that has never heard the good news about Jesus. There are places like that, many places like that. He put a passion and a burden in their heart for people that they didn't even know. He made them love people that lived halfway around the world, and he sent them to offer them the joy of God's new creation through the good news about Jesus. And that's amazing. That's World Missions, and this is World Mission Sunday. But World Missions also includes the world next door. God keeps sending people out from our church. We have a saying at Christ's church, we give our best away. We give our best away. And that giving and sending spirit, that giving and sending spirit is one of the reasons that we have been such a healthy church now for 14 years, going on 14 years. Hear me, friends. If we ever lose our willingness to send and be sent, that is the day that this church will begin to die. If we ever lose our willingness to send and to be sent... If we just want to all snuggle up and hoard all the good stuff we've got here, congratulations, you're on the road to death. God sent out from Christ Church Tom Boast and a group of lay people to begin Church of the Good Shepherd. That's been years ago now. Then God sent out Keith Huffman and another group of lay people to plant Church of the Resurrection in Louisville, North Carolina. And then a couple of years ago, Christ Church was invited to help a group of people in Beckley, West Virginia, who were feeling called to start an Anglican church there. And before we almost knew it, Chris Bora fell in love with those folks, and God sent him all the way there to be their planting pastor. I'm still bitter about that. <laughs> God keeps sending, and we keep participating in that. And as we send, we never run out of light and life. We are conduits of light and life. You know, Christ Church's outreach to West Virginia is significant because God is using us to be a part of an amazing move of the Holy Spirit in that state right now. It is astonishing what's going on there. That move of the Holy Spirit started with folks like Derek Robert, who after his childhood friend became another statistic in the suicide epidemic in West Virginia, he felt God calling him back home to a state that he had done everything he could do to get away from. And by the way, that's a lot of people feel that way about West Virginia. They want to leave. And God called Derek back, gave him a passion to go back. 
And just as God was sending Derek Roberts, who is now the rector of Hope Church in Charleston, West Virginia, just as God was sending Derek back to West Virginia, groups of people in that state, all over that state, started saying the strangest thing. I mean, it's probably the weirdest phrase ever uttered in the state of West Virginia. Uh, why can't we have an Anglican church here? <laughs> of all the flavors, all the options in God's Baskin-Robbins store of denominations, why us? I felt that nudge as well back in November. I had a profound prompting. There's so much that led up to this, but I, I don't want to bore you uh, more than I usually do. But back in November, I had a profound prompting of the Holy Spirit to help support the pastors and lay people who are a part of that move of the Spirit in West Virginia. So I called Chris Bohr and I said if he could see if the pastors and emerging planters in that state would like, to like for me to come and help equip them for mission. But it turns out that in a separate meeting with Bishop Steve Breedlove, those pastors and lay people had independently asked if I would come alongside and assist them in that work. And I had no idea that was going on. So in December of last year, Bishop Steve asked me to be canon missioner for West Virginia to catalyze planting new Bible-believing, gospel-saturated Anglican churches in that state. And so in January, after praying about it and talking to Lisa, I accepted that call. And just this last week, that position was approved by the Diocesan Council our, our Diocese of Christ the Hope. And you know, we've already seen God at work in this new appointment. I gotta tell you, this is the coolest thing. It's, I, I said I needed time to get my head and heart around this, but I'm not sure that I still have my head and heart around this. Back on Tuesday, February 8th, Father Derek Roberts drove Lisa and I up to Morgantown, West Virginia, to talk to a local Young Life leader and to another Anglican pastor in that state about planting a new church in Morgantown. It was a good meeting. It was a productive meeting. It was an encouraging meeting. But afterwards, Derek said that he needed a cup of coffee before we drove all the way back to Charleston, West Virginia. So we went to a coffee shop where a friend of his named Rusty worked. And we went inside, and Derek got his coffee, and he asked at the register if Rusty was around. And so they directed him back to the roasting room, and Derek tapped on the glass partition, and Rusty turned around. Sure enough, there, there he was. But there were two other friends that Derek had known since, they, since university days, 10 years before, 11 years before. Two other people, a woman named uh, Cole and another guy named David Moore, were sitting there in the roasting room talking with Rusty. They motioned for Derek to come in, and they said, listen, listen. They said, it is so weird that you are here. Our church of 11 years just closed its doors, and we were saying, we wish there was an Anglican church here. Why isn't there an Anglican church here? If we had an Anglican church, that's where we would go. Derek said, wait here. <laughs> I've got two people you need to meet. And then he fetched me and Lisa. So we're going to be going up in March to have an informational meeting with these folks. They, uh, Cole opened her home to us. We're going to have a meeting with these folks and their friends. And a new Anglican church just kind of started in a coffee shop in Morgantown this month. It wasn't like planting a church at all. It's just God's work. It's amazing. Because when we heed the call of Jesus, 
as the Father sent me, I send you. Then what he promised comes to pass in John's gospel. Where the, the works that I do, you'll do even greater works. So what does this mean for Christ's church? Well, it has a twofold meaning. First of all, practically, it means that a few days each month I will be traveling to West Virginia to do my work as canon missionary. And our diocese believes in this so much that they are going to pay you for my time. <laughs> they are compensating Christ Church with like real money for my time. And that means that Father Benji continues to serve a greater role in the pastoral leadership of Christ Church. But spiritually, this means that Christ Church continues to be an outwardly directed church, obedient to Christ's command sending us into the world to embody and enact the reality of God's new creation that has already begun. You know, we have, I don't know that we've ever preached on World Mission Sunday, about World Mission Sunday, about our call to mission. But I do want you to know, brothers and sisters, that this is, I think, probably one of the key components to the health and growth of this church. And may God continue to give us the courage and the obedient hearts filled with his love for his world that he made to go out beyond ourselves to bring new creation good news to men and women and boys and girls far, far away like Luke and Abby, closer to home like Tom and Keith, and in deepest, darkest West Virginia. God make it so. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.